Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 88. Now, today we're talking with another creative maker and a true artist in our field, John Peters. He's a unique combination of a painter and a woodworker. And John talks with us about owning his own art gallery before moving his business online and finding YouTube while trying to share his videos with family and friends. He shares some awesome insights from being a brick and mortar business owner and transitioning into a digital world. Yeah, John has been one of the accounts that I've been following forever on YouTube. So having him on the show was hugely nostalgic for me. With over 420,000 subscribers and a staggering 656 uploads, John has been putting the work in for over nine years on YouTube alone and has been a staple in the maker community for a long, long time. Yeah, lots of great insights. Really looking forward to this episode for you guys. But before we get into it, we want to thank some of the new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. Uh, we had Dick Hampton and Exahorn and Karen LaVarnway back in the MFP tribe. Thank you so much, guys, for joining. And and hopefully I got that name right. Uh, that was a tricky one. If you do want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. We have a weekly after show as well as some other things that you can check out over there. But without further ado, here's our interview with John Peters. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to another interview. We are excited to have one of the godfathers on the YouTube woodworking scene. We have John Peters from John Peters Art and Home. John, welcome to Made for Profit. Hey, what's up, guys? Glad to have you, man. And this is I don't, like we were already talking over the floor of the show. We've got John and John. So and the uh, the no H doesn't come through in the pronunciation. That's why I was searching for you. Earlier, <laughs> and I was like, why is John Peters not? Come? And I was like, oh, J-O-N. So, so if you're searching for John on Instagram, it's J-O-N Peters underscore. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were excited to talk to you because, uh, dude, you, you've been uh, in the game for so long and you've been an inspiration to John and myself and to a lot of our listeners. So we're, we're definitely excited to get uh, your perspective on all the things that you've done to get where you're at and the things that have changed along the way. Cool, man. Happy to be here. Tell you what, why don't we get started with just some of the folks that uh, may not be familiar with you. We have a lot of people that are just heavy on Instagram and, and uh, haven't been doing a lot of YouTube. Why don't you give us just a little five minute or so rundown of, of who you are, what your channel's about, and, and how you got started and, and what your business does. All right. So I would say that my channel focuses on the teaching aspect of woodworking and art related projects. I, um, I've been an artist and a woodworker for about 30 years. When I was 17 years old, I worked at a cabinet shop right out of high school. And I was making custom furniture and custom artwork. And around 1999, I opened up a gallery in Red Bank, New Jersey, with my wife, Laurel, the Laurel Tracy Gallery. And uh, we were in business there for, I think, 15 or 16 years. And then we started focusing the business online. I would say... Four years before we closed the doors to the brick and mortar space, I built a table and I had renovated a house up in Vermont and I was doing the project with my brother-in-law 
and YouTube was just kind of very young at the time. And it was a way to show him the project. And then suddenly people started commenting and I didn't really even understand what a comment was. <laughs> and then I realized, wow, this is really cool because, and I've said this before, I think uh, most woodworkers are really making something that uh, ultimately they want to be proud of. And if you're proud of something, you want it to show, you want it to show, you want to show that thing to somebody. And the, to be able to do that on YouTube, to show the world this thing that you've made, it's just an incredible thing. And that almost became like an addiction to make things and then share them. And it's also another way to be able to work where you're not always just sort of working so physically hard building something. So you can still feel productive when you're editing video. Um, so it just kind of um, naturally started before there was any um, uh, monetization. But I always saw that there was a possibility for that. And I always loved the New Yankee workshop and Norm Abrams and uh, this old house. And I always saw a huge uh, split between shows like this old house and uh, trading spaces. Right. And I'm always about quality. I know that there's a ton of uh, woodworkers out there and some are, are better than me and some aren't. But I think the goal is always to try to put your best foot forward and make something good that you're proud of. So uh, that's pretty much where the show's going, uh, where it's been. But I do bring a lot of artwork into it because I tell people when I uh, make paintings, I generally build a painting because a lot of them are um, assemblage type paintings. And it's a it's kind of a bigger part of who I am than than uh, a lot of people realize on YouTube. People who know me personally and in, in the area know me first as an artist. Yeah, I think it's uh, super interesting over like the course of of being a fan of your content. One is I've been watching you for since I got the bug in like 2013, uh, and and it's uh, it's crazy to see how vast your skill set actually is, and and how many different projects you've actually done. But I was always intrigued by um, the the artist aspect of your brand because my first business. I was actually a in, in a partnership with an artist who physically painted things and sold paintings, um, had some stuff in galleries and such. And so I became kind of familiar with, you know, his his workflow and community and stuff. And that's right when I found you. And I was like, wow, this dude's an artist and a woodworker. Like, how cool is that? And and you were framing your own um, you were framing your own canvases and creating your own frames for, you know, paintings and such, which I thought was uh, fascinating. And then also incorporating some really high-end woodworking like you just touched on with the uh you know the emphasis being on quality over mass production or just you know diy slapping some stuff together and i think i mean i think you've been around uh, eight years if i scroll all the way back in your page to that to that table table you talked about i mean that's a long time to be producing content and as um was i you know i got started making content i was someone doing custom furniture work and i was building and selling uh furniture for that exact reason and i was using social media and content creation to supplement that. I mean, um, touch a little bit on how, you know, the content creation affected the actual brick and mortar uh, or the business uh, as you guys moved from that sphere to the digital sphere. I mean, was it used more as uh, an educational aspect or as you were you showing just, you know, the gallery side of things is as like presenting projects or was it just kind of an experimentation for the brand? Sure. Well, what happened was, um, so the gallery sold very expensive artworks. My paintings are pretty expensive. They started around $5,000. i have sold paintings as much as $30,000. Uh, 
and a lot of them are custom paintings. And what you realize about artwork is somebody doesn't walk into the gallery and walk out with one under their arm. They want to show their husband, their wife, their significant other, whatever. It's a real process. And probably around 2010 or something, I started to use what I would call digital installation, where I would go to the client's home, often working with architects and designers, photograph the home, take a few measurements of whatever the product, uh, whatever the furniture is in the room, whether it's a mantle or a sofa, and that would give me a rough scale. And then I would uh, digitally drop a selection of artwork in the space. And over time, people realized they didn't need to come into the gallery. And then as technology got better, they could actually just shoot us photographs with their phone. It became very commonplace to take a picture with your phone and shoot it over. And then I would get to work and uh, drop that digitally into space or into the space. And the way it affected my own artwork is then I could make small maquettes. So instead of uh, putting all that energy and time and, and money into making a a six by eight foot painting, I could make a six by eight inch painting and then photograph it and then change the scale. And that would give the client a particular, uh, give them a good idea of what they were going to get because, uh, you know, there's no real such thing as a blind commission. Uh, it's really hard for somebody to pull the trigger when you're trying to explain something to them physical that is just in your mind. But by being able to make that maquette and taking a photograph of it, putting it on the wall is enough to get that, uh, you know, that 50% deposit and get to work. Wow. That, that is fascinating. I, I love that. I, I don't have any knowledge of, of the artistry and the painting side of that. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I figured people just paint it. You know, I, I guess I never thought about that, that fact of commission work. So being able to digitally use that, uh, you know, like I said, just expand it like that. That's brilliant. And, and use utilizing, technology and the internet to kind of, you know, make it better so that you're giving them peace of mind as well as I'm sure scaling and, you know, all those things you're like, okay, well, if I'm gonna have to do this and it helps you visualize the the whole piece as a bigger, that that's awesome. Is, is that, um, you know, like as you go through and, and you've been doing those pieces or you're, you're doing that back then, did that, you know, do you ever use the, the YouTube side of it or did you start it uh, I know you were starting it uh, with the table and things, but did you think about, you know, or, or film or video other paintings like to use that as a marketing tool on like the YouTube side or was it more just the, you know, the digital digital and email and website? Um, I think the marketing side was more digital email and website. I think most of uh, my collectors aren't YouTube, aren't really um, watching YouTube yet. As time goes on, they're becoming more aware of it. Um, but uh, the art world that I'm dealing with is basically um, um, like the New York art world. And that's kind of an advantage to me because I'm so much less than the New York art world. But at the same time, my clients might have a home here and then have a home in Manhattan. And they're aware of those prices. And I can what it, what YouTube does is it gives you the ability to not need the sale. And when you don't need the sale, that's when you get the sale gotcha. because you can be monetizing your videos. You could be working for sponsors. And so if if you're working with a client, you say this is the number and this is what it's going to be. And and if you do all that information and you get sort of a, you know, a, a pushback, you can just skip the job because because you don't need it. That's the best way to get. Yeah, because you're diversified, right? I mean, I love that. So, like, just just as a 
setting the the stage, like, you know, your YouTube channel and woodworking, like what portion versus your art? I mean, are you, are you half and half or is it, is the YouTube, you know, kind of a, a sub, you know, a smaller portion of that where the art is, is the massive, like how, how does that actually flow out for you? The art is a, a larger majority. And I also make custom frames that I don't get too much into because how many frame videos can you make? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but uh, the art is a, a larger, um, is probably a larger portion at this point, but I'm always trying to push the, the YouTube world. I mean, I would obviously like my channel to be bigger and work with uh, more sponsors. What I don't like to do, and some sponsors will, what you guys may or may not know this, I'm sure you do, is uh, they want to have too much of a hand in the content. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of, I'm sort of on the school that you don't need every little jig. You don't need every little, I don't know, pair of training wheels to make a piece of furniture. And a lot of um, a lot of sponsors really want you to use all these things that I, I sometimes feel are unnecessary. And I think they kind of cloud the content of making something good. And also just things that don't really make sense in the build. The way I like to work with sponsors is if they will um, basically like a page in a magazine. So before the content starts, I might say this is made possible because such and such a brand, um, you know, has made it. Uh, possible for me to dedicate so much time to creating this content and providing free plans and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I, the- I, I, I'm just like, I'm amazed by that. Honestly, John, that, uh, I mean, just look at like how prolific your channel is and how many videos you've put out and to know that that's a smaller portion of your total. I mean, that that's just like super impressive to me because obviously you spend a lot of time and, and your quality of content is so high and, you know, knowing that it's like, okay, this is a portion. And then you've got all these other things going on with frames and paintings and dealing with clients on that side. I think, you know, for one thing, it's like, oh my gosh, wow. Uh, But for the other thing, I think that's a great example because what, because a lot of our listeners are product folks, they make furniture for a living and they're like, yeah, YouTube's not really for me. Like I I don't want to invest all that time in YouTube because uh, you know, I'm building all the time or whatever that is. But to to hear that from from an artist like yourself, where it's like you're still your large portion is not YouTube, but like your quality and and just the content and amount in like recently, man, you have been putting out so many videos recently. I'm just like, I can't keep up. I'm like, this is my full time job. And I'm like, how is how is John doing this? And now to know that it's like not even, you know, I'm like, oh, man, now I just feel I just feel bad. But uh, but it, I, that it really is. I, I love that because it's, you know, that just shows like, I mean, what does that look like for you? Like when you're producing the content, how, how do you keep up with it with, with all this other stuff going on? How do you keep up with the channel or how do you organize like, Hey, I'm going to, do you, do you block it and do weeks of YouTube and then weeks of art? Or is it, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, this, like, how does that work for you? The artwork is so connected to the shop. So I have to do, you know, the upstairs and the downstairs mm-hmm. and the artwork is in my view is a lot of it is down to a science, especially the stuff that people really like of mine. I'm not trying to go out and paint a, a, a landscape or uh, although I can do that and I do sometimes, but a lot of them are paintings that are sort of mathematically figured out. And so I just have to make the braced panel. And if I have the braced panel and I can make a couple of them, just have four or five braced panels always up in the studio and I can have the aluminum up there if I'm painting on aluminum or I can have the steel cut the size. Um, and a lot of those things I've done, I did post one, I think painting where I did on on aluminum years ago, but I took it down 
just because I didn't feel like it was getting a lot of views. And I felt like, eh, I'll post it maybe when the channel's bigger or something, because I felt it was such a great video. And it like, <laughs> it just died at like 9,000 views. And it, and it was getting, I don't know, maybe three views, a, three views a day. And so I said, I'll, I'll put that up there when I have an audience for it. Because that's the other thing too, is the people have let me really know that they're there for the woodworking, not the artwork. So um, sometimes I'll touch on the artwork, but I usually keep the artwork pretty separate from the uh, from the channel. Though until recently, because I'm going to do something with Maker's Mob, and on that channel I'm going to share a lot more about the artwork and how that artwork is inspired. Uh, you know what my artwork is heavily based in art history. I think that a lot of bad art. Uh, doesn't have anything to do with art history. And I made the analogy in a video recently that trying to paint without ever looking at a painting and not knowing anything about art history is like trying to pick up a guitar and saying, I don't need to know anything. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And you'll always hear really bad teachers say, here's a paint, here's paintbrush or a paintbrush and here's paper and just be creative. You don't learn anything from that. They should say, okay, let's go and try to, uh, painted Jackson Pollock, which is a drip painting. And now you know who Jackson Pollock is. So by knowing a little history, then you can kind of have something to go off of. I feel like, uh, you know, that that mentality is something that uh, I've actually personally started to implement into my woodworking for the same reasons, right? You know, I kind of picked up the hobby out of necessity. And then I just kept going in, in like, you know, bruising the vast array of, uh, of designs on the internet instead of diving deeper into individuals, say like a, like a, like a James Crenoff, for instance, or some of the more modern guys with like Mike Pekovich and, and, and Matt Kenny and like looking at their stylings and what they bring to the table. Um, I think that something like that truly does help inspire more artistic, um, thoughts than perhaps just sitting there blankly staring at something, trying to come up with a, a concept or an idea, especially in woodworking. So I love that concept. And I think it can definitely apply to uh, creation of furniture. Um, you know, you definitely want to take the time to go back and look at some of the old, uh, the, the, the old styles. I, uh, I don't build a ton of cabinetry, but I've recently purchased a book on like <laughs> the, uh, the history of cabinetry to look at it and, you know, going back through, like Victorian casework stylings and watching it evolve through like the shaker period and arts and crafts and all this, you really do start to stimulate your, your, your creativity um, into what you actually might like about one thing and like about another, but you had no clue where it's coming from. And I think that's a beautiful assimilation to, you know, how you look at art. I also think what's beautiful is how good of a woodworker you are and how good of an artist you are. Cause I, cause I've always been intrigued in your woodworking by your, um, like the, it always looks so pristine and and clean and 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 well done, um and fast. And it's like you you know you'll you'll get a project done and you'll build say a carcass or a case or something for the shop, and like all the cut lines are beautiful and like the you know you're pre-drilling holes and you got all these little tips and tricks and I'm like this guy's got so much experience and then you're like whoa whoa I'm a full time artist and I'm like what <laughs> he's a wizard. So, it's so similar though, dude. Art art and furniture are art. Yeah, art and furniture are very similar. And the guy I learned from was a painter. Mm. Uh, the guy, Bob Waltzak. I started working for him when I was 17 years old. And that's the difference, too. I'm always making a piece of furniture that I hope that either my client will pass down to their children or my children will pass down to their children. And so it's not um, it's not a prop. 
for video. I want people to see it and touch it and and know that. And by no means am I the best woodworker on YouTube. There are plenty of better woodworkers, but there's no um, substitute for somebody opening up a drawer, touching the finish. That's what furniture is. It's it's about an up close inspection of this maker. And you know, I I sometimes will see on YouTube where there's a total um, mistake. And it'll get shrugged off as, eh, you know, that's okay. Your mistake, you had to deal with it. I saw your video. And that's how it is. You make a mistake, you own it, you deal with it. That's what I like that. Yeah. That And, and you picking up, like, what that teaches you, that kind of thing with that door, because I've been there. It's, it's no fun. Yeah. That teaches you that the project starts at the lumber yard. Mm-hmm. I mean, because now you, you're, and you've got a lot of content that pertains to how to select and choose lumber for specific jobs, which I think I, th- I think there's so many encompassing aspects of woodworking or creating or any type of um, design that play into the, the whole process. And a lot of us skip it and just go to the build like, you know, you're just looking at, oh, OK, I already got this wood and I already got it squared. And, you know, you could buy S4S and I got my plywood and stuff. But you have some content out there that's like, you know, selecting lumber and what you're looking for and eliminating voids from your work and doing, uh, you know, you know how it affects glue up and wood movement and all that. And um, I think that the attention to that type of stuff um, may not play itself to the virality concept of what content is, but it definitely is a way to showcase expertise. And that's something that we, um, Brad and I, talk about a lot on the show for those who are looking to get into YouTube and create um, content based around a product-based business is that if you're showing your expertise and quality of craftsmanship and reasoning behind your decisions in a piece of content, if a potential client comes and looks at that content, they're going to see, wow, this guy just put a lot of time and effort in the lumber yard to selecting his his, his uh, grain matching lumber. This And he's also putting a lot of time and effort into something as simple as the spacing of his screws and his cabinets. You know, that's going to reflect in the price you could potentially charge and the quality of your work. So I think that's a good example of something like you said, my doors, the project started in the lumber yard. Well, yeah, it, it comes the whole way through the project. You just may not get to see the selection process. And that's kind of why I added it to that video but to, to bring that back to the to the spectrum of what we're talking about here is that if you are an, a product individual looking to supplement your physical selling of goods with content, that you can showcase those aspects of your process in content and it can supplement your business with uh, showing off that expertise to potential clients. And that's something I've always appreciated in your content is you're always showing you know why this is done and how how this can affect the potential uh, benefit of a piece down the line, not just in this moment to get a video done. Well, I, I think that's um, one of the, the the better things about somebody who's also using YouTube to show a potential client uh, their process, because um, then the 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 YouTuber is actually trying to build something beautiful, and they're uh, they want to show all that aspect of it, as opposed to just making something. Um, you know, I think anybody can make something to make something beautiful is another, it's another thing. <laughs> uh, and that my, my, the guy I worked for was tough. You know, when you, well, you had to be because uh, you can't deliver something. And if, if, if a client potentially calls something out and says, why is that like that? And it's not supposed to be like that. There's no right answer. So I'm coming from a world of callbacks, you know, the door stuck, uh, this didn't work. 
And every time you get a call back, then you're losing money. Yeah, that <laughs> that that is absolutely true. And I that works on callbacks. On my yeah, own callbacks. <laughs> that's that's the same thing. Uh, you know, even in the content world, like right, if you just turn in a video for. Uh, look on sponsorship and they said like, wow, you, you didn't, you didn't do this exactly right. You didn't use that product the way that we were hoping or, or you didn't use it safely or whatever it is. Like, you know, anything where you're not on point, you're going to go back and it's going to waste time and waste money and set you behind. But so, so as, as your, as your business, uh, John, and as you look at um, your content, I, I want to explore a little more about like, you know, what you said, as far as like, the uh, your audience told you that they like your woodworking more than the artistry. Like, how how did you deal with that? Because that's something that we talk about a lot on the show, too, is like trying to find, you know, quote unquote, your voice and what you want to do versus what resonates. And so, you know, like, what did that look like for you? Was it just that the art videos, like you threw some stuff out there and it just didn't get as much traction? And then the woodworking, which looks like, you know, those took off super fast. Um, those just really did it. Was it in the comments? Like, how did, what kind of feedback were you getting and how did you kind of internalize that and decide what to do? Well, I think definitely uh, woodworking is um, much more popular than artwork. And I think uh, artwork in particular is, it's just kind of an obscure thing. So you're not going to get as many people interested in it. And I think there's artwork on the level where I want to be and where I feel like I work is only appreciated by a very small amount of people. Uh, I don't know that many people who know who know that much about art. Um, not that it matters. It's just that's for some reason art resonates with me. Art history resonates with me, and I I like when I look at an interior design, like really high uh, high end interior design. If you're talking about architectural digest or anything, you'll see that original artwork is the focus or, or one of the focuses. You know, the best interior design always has original artwork. I work with a lot of interior designers and architects in New York and Washington, D.C., and they're all top notch. So that is definitely a passion of mine. But at the same time, you know, I want people to I, I don't want to force people away. And so I'm I'm kind of showing uh, things that I still think have value. And if you're an artist and you're tuning in uh, for for my art side, you're still going to be able to get value because I always say I'm not. I'm building a painting. I'm not really painting a painting. The, my paintings are heavily based on uh, design and um, structural elements to make a painting. A lot of my paintings are made up with by um, maybe 10 or 20 or even 100 different panels to create one painting. They might all be hung on a French cleat. So all that stuff kind of goes back to woodworking. Gotcha. And, and like when, when you're doing... You know, when you're doing the woodworking side, what's, you know, what's the end game? I know you build a lot of stuff for your house, but like, what's the, and we, we're going to talk about here in a minute, the, uh, some of the home renovations and the new projects you got coming up. But, um, you know, what is typically like when you're doing their projects, how do you come up with those as far as like, is it stuff that you need or is it commission work or, you know, how do you get that, those ideas for the channel or is it audience based? It's usually what I... Mostly what I want to do, I think, when it comes to woodworking for for the show, um, the, like the little desk that I just made, I, I actually need that. So I made that little desk. It kind of fits into that, that room there. Um, but uh, I would say it's, it's just mostly what I want to do. 
right now I'm in sort of a, a weird space because I want to get to the point where I'm working on a whole house. And that's hard to do with a family of four kids, even though two of my kids are at college. It's just um, you can't say, OK, I'm going to go and, and rip this room apart right now because everybody's kind of living in it. So I don't know if this is going to happen, but definitely uh, things that we're looking into is to buy a house and renovate it because then you're dealing with, you know, every aspect of it, the furniture, the artwork, the walls, um, the lighting. And uh, that's just something I'm hoping I get that opportunity, but at the same time, I'm not going to do it unless it's fun and unless it's going to make money. Yeah, that looks fun. <laughs> the Vermont is, is awesome too. That's a great backdrop for, uh, for some epic videos too. I'm, I'm seeing some drones coming in through, you know, like the green mountains or something and snow caps. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say the, that's something that's you, a lot of us content creators got to keep in mind is because in any type of business, when you turn your hobby into a revenue source, it can take away from the enjoyment. Um, especially when you're working on deadlines. I know in custom furniture, um, a lot of the stuff that I'm moving, like by the end of it, I just hate it. And it's because I'm dealing with aspects that I can't control um, you know, I'm getting opinions from individuals whom I potentially don't want opinions from. And it can really be a deterrent to doing that type of work. But there's also that fulfilling aspect of when you get it into the home or, or wherever it's going and it looks fantastic and people are, you know, ooging and ogling over it and they're and they're absolutely loving it. Um, uh, and, and so with content creation, it could be the same thing. You know, if, you're, if you've got a ton of sponsors you're trying to fulfill and they're telling you what to do and how to do it. And, uh, you know, you're like, hey, I, you know renovating a house could be a blast, but there, by no means do you want to go about it, like you said, and not have it be fun and enjoyable and a learning experience and something where you want it and the type of home. Because um, that's that's essentially what the TV shows do. They're like, hey, there's <laughs> you're going to pay for this. We're going to film a show and here's how it's going to be. And some of them are just extremely unenjoyable. And I know a lot of people in Pittsburgh where there's like a renaissance of renovation or having home shows shot here and they don't like it at all. And they're like, well, I was expecting something completely different. And now I've got to stick with this room that I absolutely hate with all of my heart. <laughs> so I'd love to see you get into more home stuff. Cause I, I, I've been watching your stuff for a long time, like I said, and the vast array of skill set, I think it's something that's a true attestment to the amount of time and effort you put into quality work, everything. I love your molding videos. Um, I've always been intrigued by like how much, uh, how effortless you make molding anything. Look, I think it might come from your experience with frames, um, but I believe I watched you do some some built-ins and moldings in your home, and I think you might even have custom built the molding um, the molding uh, itself, uh, and, and it might have been a few years ago. And I'm just always intrigued by uh, the application of your work and how seamless and easy you make it. Um, you know, I, tell us a little bit about how you find time to still work on those skills while you're still building your skills as an artist. Because I know that's something that when you're selling custom work is very hard to work skill sets. Um, and I know you said that you build a lot for the uh, for the art you do specifically. But are you ever trying to incorporate specific techniques into that in order to learn or get better at them? Or do you kind of stay in your lane when it comes to uh, the type of things you want to do? Because I, I, I'm a, always trying to tell our listeners to if you can learn on someone else's dime. Um, you know, if someone's willing to take a leap of faith with you and you're able to implement a new technique and get some practice at it, that it's always better to do it um, when you know you're not going to lose, you know, days or weeks towards towards that project. I would I would say that I kind of stay in my own lane with things. I'll look at things and I'll weigh and measure and think, is this something I want to, uh, you know, bite off right now? I think a lot of that comes from I'm 50 years old. So you're you guys are younger than I am. So I've I've done things where I've 
you know, I've done that job and I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make a lot of money on that, but I learned something. And now I'm like, I, I'm tired of learning. So uh, yeah, I'll learn a couple <laughs> of things, but you know, you, my, you know, I'll obviously like if an opportunity comes up, I'll mull it over with my wife and I'll just say, what do you think? Cause she knows that my time, you know, she's always aware of my time and where am I putting uh, my skills and what has to be done to keep everything running. And, you know, we'll just discuss it and say, okay, that's a good project or that's not a good project. Um, so I will always want to learn. Um, there's a lot of things that I've done in the past that I kind of, that I, that I've learned the skill and I didn't really have a place to use it yet. And those are things that I might come back to. I used to work a lot with epoxy 20 years ago and I might bring that back into the show eventually. Um, but, uh, I just haven't, it, it kind of falls into the art category. So I don't know if I'll have that much of an audience for it. So I might wait until I feel like I do. Gotcha. Uh, can I say something on the epoxy thing? Yeah. Cause I've worked with epoxy a lot. I, am I the only one who feels like these epoxy slab tables are going to fail? The, because I've, I think they're unproven. Uh, what's, what's interesting. Like as far as like failing and, and breaking, is that what you're saying? Well, I, as long as I've been woodworking, uh, the one thing has, that's always been a constant is wood expands and contracts. And I just don't see epoxy. And I mean, sometimes I'll see these gigantic pour tables where there's 18 inches of epoxy in the center. And I can't see any structural element holding the, the slabs together. And I'm wondering, at the very least, you're going to get hairline cracks. And so that's fine if it's your own table. But if it's for a client, in my view and in my experience, that equals a callback. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I, I know that, uh, so some of these guys have been doing those type tables for a long time. I think we, we had Black Forest Woodco, who is huge on Instagram and they've, what do they tell us, John? They've mm -hmm. been doing those tables since 2010, I think something. I mean, they've been doing them for, yeah, a, for a very long time. Um, and, 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 but, it, but you're right. Like any new material, I think like epoxy kind of hit the scene, especially on the Instagram world. And then now, you know, stretching over to YouTube hit the scene in the last year and in 2018 was kind of the year of epoxy and, and like people are just doing it like crazy. But I, I think that if, you know, it brings up a good point. Like, I don't know, like the longevity of the product. And if you're making it for yourself, like I made a little waterfall table and that's sitting in my living room. Right. So, and I've kind of, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. It's the first time I ever did it. Uh, but we have, you know, a lot of folks who are selling these on commission and, you know, getting back to that callback that we talked about just a few minutes ago is that, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing. Like, what, what are the case studies around the materials that you use and feeling confident that in five years or, you know, a year or five years or 10 years that uh, that thing's not going to fail because of the of the material? And I, I think it's I think it's interesting that there's a lot of different types of epoxy out there, too. So you have, you know, the the full range of like a three day cure to a you know, one hour cure and and kind of everywhere in between and, and how do those affect it? And cause I, I see a lot of people ask, like, should I be doing anything to the edge? Right. So that live edge, those two edges that are going to be basically forming that bond that you're talking about. Um, a lot of people don't do anything. And then I hear some people roughing it up or, you know, do you put any supports in there? Like you said, like, you know, like if, if you think about it, like concrete, you would want some like rebar, you'd want something in there sure. to attach those uh, or even dominoes or something like that. Um, and, and you don't see a lot of that. I think that's a great question of in general of just the workflow and new materials and 
do you feel comfortable selling it? And is there going to be repercussions down the road? I, I don't know. I guess that remains to be seen, but um, it's definitely popular right now. <laughs> yeah, that's just a thought I had. I mean, and, and that definitely does come from, you know, having things blow up in your face uh, over the years, you know, with finishes. That's how you learn. Well, that's how I learned about finishes, you know, back in the uh, uh, late 80s, early 90s. You, you'd realize that you you um, can't spray certain things when they start to bubble up. <laughs> right. You know I mean? You're like, well, that was a mistake. Uh, this is not going to take me a day now. It's going to take me three days just to remove all this paint. Yeah, that the epoxy thing I, I find interesting. A hundred percent, what you're saying, John, is that I've never felt comfortable doing a a piece of furniture with a massive epoxy inlay in it, just because it's not. I don't feel like the technology behind it has seen the, the testament of time. Uh, and I do. I mean, I, science is what science is, but um, you can't control every variable and every element. I've done epoxy fills and voids on furniture where I have got callbacks because. In a void, it's expanding around the entire um, void itself, especially if it's like an interior void. And I've had hairline cracks and movement and stuff. Um, and I explain those to clients in, in, in the forefront. And I'm like, listen, you know, this is it, in order to use this piece of wood that you desire, you know, it has a void in it. And we're going to have to fill that with something. And this could potentially lead to problems down the line. Um, you know, here's some maintenance tips and such. But uh, I'm with you. The the one thing I've seen uh, now is a company like Black Forest, for instance, is emphasizing the education on um, the expansion and contraction of their furniture. And, and what they're doing is uh, insetting um, certain types of C-channel or metal or bracketry or bracing or whatnot to tie those two slabs together in order to try to eliminate some of those questions. Um, and, I, and I think that's smart. I think it plays back to their entire business is based around selling custom furniture. Instagram and YouTube are supplemental to that in a very, very small sense because they have a massive operation. So it's their obligation as content creators to educate their potential consumer on why they do certain things and how they do them. And I think it's why they've been able to grow their business as fast as they can and grow their audience is because of that. So I think that part's vitally important because you're, you're nailing some perfect questions, especially for custom work is like, you know, if you're going to jump into trying something new, you better try it out first or you better have a client that's willing to learn with you because, uh, you know, that typically brings the price down if it's something you've never tried and you're not an expert at it. And then, like you said, typically going to lead to a callback. So use those opportunities to learn as well as you can and use them to make sure that you are completely transparent when it comes to selling or delivering that piece of furniture with your client in the understanding that you're going to lose money when you have to go back to their house and fix it down the line um and that's a, that's a great point as well as i think i think glass looks better anyway <laughs> <laughs> i haven't done it i haven't done it but i um it does look cool i saw a skateboard with a, an epoxy it was just like the edges were wood and i thought wow i don't know i don't know if i want to skate that yeah. <laughs> i've i've been seeing you doing some more skateboard stuff lately and and I, it's kind of like a good uh good transition here is that I've, I've been seeing a lot more uh, material usage as well as like general uh, life applications in your content. Was that like, uh, so is that something that you've always wanted to do and incorporate a little bit of like, I guess you call it some modern homesteading ish kind of content and, and some cooking. I loved when you did some cooking features back in the day. I love all um, that stuff. You know, life is short. I just, I want to eat good food. I want to stay in shape. I want to hike. I want to make, good things. And, you know, um, in a perfect world, I'd be able to sort of combine all that stuff together. 
I don't know if YouTube will support it. My channel grows, but it doesn't grow like some of these channels grow. Uh, my view, my views or my view count isn't astronomically high. Some do well, some don't. I just built this desk. I'm very proud of this desk that I built. And it kind of deaded out at 16,000 views. Maybe it'll go up again. But, you know, it it does make you kind of wonder, you know, should I be focusing differently on YouTube? But then at this, like you said, you got to kind of make yourself happy. You got to make sure you're having fun. Um, so as far as all the different things that I do, um, I'll probably just continue to do them. But it's sort of like... Uh, like I might, I'm probably going to make a painting of Jimi Hendrix just because I did the music studio for my kids. And, um, and so I don't know if people are going to like that or not, but it's just something I want to do. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that I, I think that we've talked about it on the show too. It's like the more you try to, to, to chase stuff, I think that it's the harder it is to pay off as well. And then some of the stuff where you're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this and I don't know if it's going to resonate, but I need to do it or I want to do it. And so I'm, I'm a content creator, so I'm going to film it, obviously, and put a video out. And then, like, that's some of the stuff that does really well. And sometimes it doesn't, but I think it, it uh, unearths some of those things out there that you may not have thought about. And, like, I did a playset, and I was like, our playset in the backyard is like a wooden playset made out of cedar. And, and uh, it was just really, really bad shape because uh, it hadn't been touched in like eight years. And I was like, I need to restain that. And I was like, I could do a video. I was like, but who wants to see that? And so, like, I almost didn't do it. And then I did it and ended up, it's my top performing video of all times. And it's just like, and what I didn't realize though, is like for that instance is I think what, what resonated with people was that, um, the restoration. And so my thumbnail was a before and after, and it was that restorative as well as like, people really like that kind of like oddly satisfying, like power washing. So it's like most of the comments, they're like, Oh, that was so satisfying. Like watching you power <laughs> wash the, and it's like, you just don't think about that stuff sometimes, you know, it's like the little things, like in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I'm refurbishing a playset. And I was just thinking about, you know, sanding and, and I wasn't thinking about the, the process of what people might pick up on. And, and uh, you know, I've only, I've only got one play set, so I'm not going to be redoing another one. But it kind of opens my eyes to like, you know, what, what are other things that I could like restore? Because people, you know, that's like a story. People love a good restoration story and seeing something go from old and rusted or old and worn to, to new again. And, um, you know, that, that kind of opened my eyes. So like you said, you know, even though it's content that might not do good. It might be something you're like, Whoa, wow. Like this might do really well because it hits on something that other people are doing. If you're doing it more than likely somebody else needs to do it or wants to do it also. Yeah, I think so. It's for me, I, I can find no rhyme or reason why some projects take off and some (laughs) don't. And kind of a, a funny story. I had a, a dead dogwood tree in my front yard and I was cutting it down and I thought, well, I'll just set up my phone with a time lapse. So and I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. So I turned it into a video. Oh, because when I was cutting the tree down, I I realized that the wood was really hard and dense. And I thought, wow, this will make a good mallet. So I turned to mallet. I don't think I spoke in the video until the end. And um, as I just explained, oh, this was a dead dogwood. So I made this mallet. Anyway, that video in the last... I think month and a half has got almost 3 million views. <laughs> and so, so, you know, and it was like no forethought to it at right. all. Uh, it, I, there was, it was just like, have fun on the lathe, make this mallet. And um, to this day, it's getting between 25 and 45,000 views a day. It might turn off. And funny enough, a lot of those views are from other countries. And a lot of people 
uh, commenting on that video are convinced that I cut down a dead tree, even though that there's there's no leaves on the tree and there's leaves on all the other trees around it. And most of the people are just mad at me for cutting down a tree. <laughs> yeah, but they're still watching dead, the yeah. video. <laughs> yeah. It's a dead tree. You can't do anything. Yeah, that sounds so. about right. But that is, it's like, I think that's the one thing as that you learn after doing YouTube for a while is that you can't, you can't figure it out. You know, like you said, like you, you put your heart and soul into this desk and you're like, oh man, I think this thing's going to do really well. And then it doesn't meet your expectations. And then you do something on the fly and it just takes off. I mean, like we hear that just over and over again and we experience it in our own, our own content. So, I mean, that is a great takeaway, like in the YouTube, uh, if you're in that journey is just like, you, you just have to stay with it and you just have to, the, the, the whole thing is just like, keep throwing the spaghetti at the wall and like, see what sticks, you know, because if you just bail out and you're like, wow, like, I just got to go do this work. I got to go cut this tree down. And then you happen to film that, you know, that's like three and, and, you know, 3 million views that, that monetarily, that's a nice chunk of change. Something like it's about 1500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Almost 1500 bucks. So that was kind of an, it's like an expensive mallet. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you wouldn't have, you know, if you had just decided that day that like, I'm just going to go get the work done, you know, you would have missed on, missed out on that. There's something really fun, I think, about editing videos. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. And I think there's something addictive about um, making videos. I think anybody doing it has got to love it or you wouldn't do it because it does require a lot of time. I don't watch TV. It's kind of like my my schedule is to work out in the shop. I come home, have dinner, and then I just edit at night. You know, obviously, I spend time with the kids. I've got a, a 10-year-old daughter, and then I've got older. My boys are older, so I don't spend as much time with them. Um, but uh, anyway, it's kind of my new entertainment instead of, I guess, back in the day where you would watch the sitcoms or whatever on a weeknight, I edit video. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think integrating part of the process of your business to become enjoyable or something like that is also a huge benefit to the business itself. You know, like I personally do this it's a very similar at night. I'll go home and I'll hop on SketchUp and I'll draw and I'll design and I'll like kind of pull my time from things that used to be, mindlessly watching TV, unless there's football on, I, I typically can't not watch that. But, you know, like uh, you, uh, you find uh, ways to incorporate the enjoyable aspects of your craft or whatever into your daily routine. And then it becomes a part that you actually enjoy or you look forward to. And that's where you can really start to make leaps and bounds. Um, so, I, so I love that aspect of, you know, what you're saying there. And, and, I'm, and I actually want to take a step back to where you guys were just talking on your uh, your mallet video there because I think it's a uh, I think it's important to emphasize you know how much you've actually just stayed true to yourself on your channel like I don't think people really understand that if if I right now I'm looking at your top performing videos and they go from everything from pouring a concrete slab then you got the mallet a TV lift top piece of furniture making a deck a refinishing removing nails uh, how to put hinges in then building this beautiful platform bed. You've got a skateboard video up there. And I mean, it is like some people you'll see on the internet will find something that works and just go at it super, super hard. And they will just beat it until it's dead and then keep beating it until it essentially they they almost fall off the vine as well. Um, and I think the, uh, the, the emphasis there is that you've always kept everything true to you and your brand and what you enjoy and what you are doing. And that instead of trying to run... And, and chase viral trends, you're more staying true to who you are and what you do and letting the uh, content itself over time and the longevity speak for itself. 
And I, and I think that's a, that's a great point to be made to, to all of our listeners who want to get on YouTube and that are feeling discouraged by um, their content not performing well. Like I get in those ruts too. It's that you got to stay true to yourself and you got to stay consistent. If you're going to make content, you got to keep making content. And that just because something you expect to blow up doesn't, doesn't mean that your next whimsical video that you create just because you're doing something around the house or whatever isn't going to explode and change the, the the landscape of what you're doing online. Um, and I think you are a true testament to that because you're just always doing what is at the forefront of what you want to do and you're staying true to your brand and the, and the quality and the things that you uh, emphasize on your channel. But it doesn't matter if you're, you know, playing with beeswax or you're cooking some salmon or, you know, you're refinishing a, a gorgeous uh, countertop. It's it's always true to your brand and you instead of trying to ride, you know, trends and, and do all the things that a lot of us get can kind of caught up in in the social and content creation world. No, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's um, it's fun. It's a journey. It's um, yeah, it's just it's it's fun to make stuff. Right. It's it's I, it going back to that desk, not getting the view count that I would like it to get. I love the desk. So that's the byproduct. And it's funny. I was talking to my wife. I was like, well, this video didn't get very many views, but I really like this desk because I'm keeping my like office stuff in there now. I'm like this thing's great. So it, that's that is sort of the uh, the little benefit of making things on YouTube when you're making it for yourself. You you get to share it out in the world and then you have this this thing, you know, whether it's a. Uh, a piece of furniture or um, whatever. Yeah. And I think part of that too, is that is people get bought into the brand. Like they, like John was saying is that um, because they want to know, like they want to see what you're making for your, you know, some, some people make commission work, but you know, a lot of the popular uh, YouTube channels out there, it's like people are, are making that for themselves. And so they're like, Oh yeah, I remember that desk that you made. And it's like in, you know, then it's maybe in another video where you're walking through the house and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what the one I made back last year, you know, and people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I love that one. And it's just, um, you know, it just lets people connect with you more, I think. And it makes it more about you uh, as a person, uh, you know, who are like they could they just understand. It's like that was always like watching. I love watching Norm, but it's like, you know, he was his production. Right. So he's like he's making the stuff and it's out. And he's like, you know, mainly that was commission stuff. But the stuff that I really liked was like when he would make stuff for the shop, because then he's like, you know, the, the, the Norm router table, you know, the New Yankee Workshop router table, which was just this beast. And then every time you saw that, you're like, oh, yeah, man, I remember that video. And like that's to me what Norm was about. And when he'd do those shop projects, because you could see him interacting with it. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a cool part. And that's what I do mainly on my channel is just make stuff that, that I use. Yeah, I just saw your last, that's awesome. Your, your, your new shop project with Baltic Birch. Oh yeah. That stuff's great. Uh, I love Baltic I know. Birch. Yeah. I, I know. I was, I was looking through it. I know you've used some of that too for the drawers and, and stuff. And the Baltic Birch is just so stable, but, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's part of what I try to do is like, I want everything. I want, if somebody looks at the shop, they'd be like, oh, that's Brad's shop because I know like it's all his cabinetry is like Baltic Birch and it's got the, you know, the modern pools and stuff and just trying to help make the the branding, which I think you've done a great job at, you know, at, like just kind of as we start rounding out here, what, what, you know, where do you see your brand going on? And, and maybe you could split this apart. Like, so as you think about this new home remodel, like if you did the home remodel, would it stay uh, you know, same channel and it's just like a kind of a new series or is it just like, Hey, this is what I'm doing now. And does it become that and, and less about the woodworking and more, more about the full renovation? Like how, how are you thinking about that in your future? It, it would all be on the same channel and um, it would, um, then you would just have a combination, but I think the story would be 
maybe a little fuller. So instead of making a, a piece of furniture that's kind of obscure, the viewer might not actually know where it's going to end up. I can say, okay, I'm going to make this um, this built-in for this wall over here in the living room. And then as the house got renovated, they would see it all come together. And wh whether that's the finishes on the wall, because that's another thing I like to do is different finishes, not just painting. Um, there's all kinds of really cool wall treatments that are kind of fun to do. Um, so anyway, and, and art lighting, I think the, it's really just about showing the whole picture, how it all comes together. Furniture design, cabinet design, interior design, artwork, and, um, and everything eventually goes somewhere to complete that story. Now, that's uh, like I said, I'll do that if it's going to be if it's going to make money and it's going to be fun. So that's that remains to be seen <laughs> right now. I'm actually doing I'm like, you know, working with potential sponsors and trying to get them interested in it because I don't want to just kind of go into this. Now, I was listening to, to you guys a lot in particular to help grow my Instagram. And I got some great hints from you guys in the last, I guess, uh, maybe right around the, the beginning of the new year. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, um, I think that's got total potential. My Instagram just got over 20,000 and before it was just lagging and lagging. Um, and I think once you get comfortable, like I wasn't really comfortable talking to my phone the way you you both are and telling that story. And I'm watching your stories now and and now I'm watching more stories. And I think it's a great way to keep the viewer involved in what's going on. And it's also another great way to keep the the people who view your channel uh, kind of abreast of some other things that are happening that do affect what's going on in the channel. But they're not absolutely one in the same. So, you, you know, you, you've got this new tool and you might not use it for a month or two, but let me just show everybody real quick on Instagram what, what this is and why I got it and what I plan to do with right. it. Right. And then they could connect with it when they see it in the full video later, right? Yeah, I, I do love Instagram. I, I love having the different platforms. I know a lot of people, um, they, they kind of bemoan it and they're like, oh, I got to, you know, I gotta, I've got to be on on Instagram and I got to be on YouTube and Facebook and Pinterest and my blog and, and all like you can be everywhere. Right. I mean, there are so many places, but the way that it, that I kind of look at it is that I use each platform differently instead of just posting the same type of stuff. And like Instagram stories specifically, I don't share that type of content anywhere else. And so it's very behind the scenes. Like, you know, you might see my kids, you might see me out run into the post office. Like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show myself going to the post office at a YouTube video. Like nobody's going to want to see that unless it's like integral to some type of uh, story behind the build. But, uh, you know, back, back to what we were just talking about a minute ago is like, I, I think like, you know, people like if, if people want to be part uh people want to be part of your story and that's just a, sure. and you know, they call it Instagram stories. And that's a, that's a great term for it because like they want to know more about you. Like they like you, they like seeing you on TV. They, they like, well, what is, what does John do during the day? Like, is he like, I see he's doing all these projects. Like what, what happens before that? Like what's the back scenes? And it's, it's a fantastic way to, to let people in and you can, and that's the nice thing is that you totally control it. You can show as much or as little as you want. And so it, you know, it doesn't have to be a burden and it doesn't have to be overly invasive because you completely control it. Absolutely. I, uh, my kids, I don't think are, except I've, I've shot a few surfing videos of my kids, but for the most part, they're not in the videos. But when I do stuff with, with my boys in particular, I'll share that on Instagram. Oh, I love that. Um, I love that picture in the barrel of your son. Yeah. That was a fantastic picture of, I was like, what? I thought it was like a, a Photoshop. And I was like, Oh, his face is like sticking 
through the barrel of the wave that he's riding. That was that was pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah, they're good kids, man. I I got good. How old are your kids? Uh, my kids are 10, 9, and 8. Yes. It goes by in a New York minute, man. You got to enjoy the moments. It's uh, That's a beautiful thing about working from home. I've always worked from home. Even when I had my shop, it was only uh, my commercial shop. It was only about... Uh, maybe less than 10 minutes from the house. Yeah, that, that's been one of the absolute joys of having, and I'm going to have to backtrack and say 10, 8, and 7. We've just had several birthdays. Like I'm always, all, the kids are all three months apart. So it's all like, I, I can never just be like, oh yeah, they're all two years apart. Like it's always changing between one and two years apart. And so my wife's going to uh, slap me for that one. But uh, <laughs> but but yeah, like that's that's been the biggest joy <laughs> of going full time is like, I'm here to put the kids on the bus, here to get them off. And and I love seeing that in yours and like seeing your boys uh, <clears throat> specifically because I've seen them in in the stories or in the, on your Instagram post about, you know, being so musically inclined. And, and I love seeing that. You're like, hey, I'm doing a jam session with the boys. It's like, that's, that's really cool to see, like, you know, using the music room that you're building out for them. Like, and I think like, you know, that like for me personally, as as a fan of your channel, I'm like, that is so awesome. Like, I know more about you than you're just this guy who's got these great skills and is a great artist. It's like, you know, you see some of the family and you, you just get this whole picture of like, wow, like I, I really, that's really cool to see what's happening in his life and, and, uh, you know, kind of get the updates vicariously through, you know, these people that you follow on the internet. Through Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Instagram's great that way. I've enjoyed that as well, you know, getting to see someone who I've watched on YouTube for a long time now get the behind the scenes more. Um, I, I personally enjoy the, uh, your, your, your music taste that you're implement in, <laughs> instilling into your kids because there's a lot of bad music <laughs> well you, that, uh, you're you're not a fan of necessarily bad music real, real quick when i was uh when i you know would take the kids to school and everything we would listen to weezer we oh, would yeah. listen to everything black sabbath i was always a sabbath guy when i was when i was young heavy metal and uh, but anyway uh but everything from johnny cash to to tupac shakur so they grew up kind mm -hmm. of listening to in my mind, what is good music, not so much popular music. And what I found has been like the most exciting thing in my life is, or one of them, um, when my oldest son was about a junior, he came home with this band uh, called The Front Bottoms. And he put it on. And I thought, well, that reminds me of The Violent Femmes, but it's cool. And we started to listen to that band and then another band called Modern Baseball. And so I started to listen to their music because I like all this music. And it's kind of like reminds me of maybe folk, folk punk kind of. And what happens with music, and I think music is the, uh, the highest art form for this reason, is you always associate moments in life with music. Mm -hmm. And so because I listen to their music, which isn't very different from my music at all, I feel closer to them. And I always experience moments in, in memory with things that I've done with them because we've been listening to this music. Yeah. And it's it's all like really cool music. And now my oldest is he's going to school for business in UVM, but he plays uh, guitar and sings in a band and he's playing out in bars and, you know, in Burlington, Vermont and uh, in basements and basement parties. <laughs> it's wild. And then I built that that music studio for them because. You can't have a drum set in the house. Right, 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we put that in there and it's only 10 by 16 and it's got insulation with canvas walls. And so that's they've got a place to go out there and they can really, you know, jam out and it doesn't bother us too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. 
I dig it. And I like how you incorporate it into your stuff, like, you know, the build out and parts that go into it and guitar hangers and such. It's like it's really cool to get that all encompassing feel. It's a great way for someone who's essentially new to Instagram to incorporate it into what they're doing. Um, and, and you're really getting a feel for it. It's cool to see your content on Instagram evolving. Um, we appreciate the kind words and and uh, tips and stuff you've picked up on the show. And um, and speaking of tips, you know, as we kind of wrap up the show, we always ask our guests if they have any tips or advice for the audience. Uh, and that could be anything from, you know, business to, to personal or whatever. But in your journey, uh, your long and continuing journey here, um, you know, do you have any advice that you'd like to give to to our listeners? I, I think um, in general, it's always just try to uh, find something you're passionate about. Uh, Stay focused, get focused and stay focused and um, and try not to veer off of things that are a waste of time in life and things that are a waste of time are pretty obvious without going into them. Just doing things that aren't healthy for your body or mind. Uh, that's kind of what I tell my kids. Just um, you know, be passionate, get focused and don't mess up. <laughs> to, to, to. I like that. That, 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 that is uh, age old, solid advice. I love that. Uh, Johnny it has been fantastic getting to hear more about My your pleasure, story man. and uh, all the stuff that you've gone through. So we really appreciate it. And we're looking forward. I, I would love to uh, see the renovation thing. I'm actually thinking of doing something my, mm-hmm. myself. So I love seeing other people doing that. And I actually lived in Vermont for for six months. I lived in uh, in Killington at the, on the base mountain when I was doing a, oh, a rotation cool. up there. So I have a I have a soft spot for Vermont too. So I'd love to see something uh, done up there. So good luck on that, and we hope you can make that work. Uh, but but definitely, thank you for coming on today and, and sharing uh, some of your knowledge with our audience. My pleasure. Thanks thanks for All having right. me. Thanks, John. Man, I had no idea that YouTube was the minority of John's business. That is so awesome to see how someone like him is just succeeding in a totally different business area and then still crushing it on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a surreal conversation to be able to chat with someone I've been following for so long and I've never actually got to meet in person. Um, I just loved hearing about his diverse business and his journey. It was just a really cool episode. Yeah, it's like I just like look to the future and be like, in 10 more years, I can be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I'd be like, ah, I've been around and I've done all the things. Uh, great, great learnings from John. If you want to hear more about John, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 88. Uh, we'll have links to his website, his Instagram and YouTube channels and everything else about John. Yeah, and we'd love to hear what you thought about the show, as well as some of the guests you guys might like to hear in the future. Um, and you can give those to us over on the Facebook group. And you can check that out at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe. Um, loving the conversations happening over there. Really awesome and unique community building on Facebook. It is. We are we are perilous, perilously close to uh, a thousand members over there too, oh, man. So I mean, we're so, so, yeah, so close, so close. So come over and join us. And we are really enjoying the conversations there. But right now let's go have some other conversation with our patron members on the after show. Let's go crush it, John. Let's do it. Let's do it.